Well, thanks for coming this morning for Sunday School. Appreciate you being here. We're going to um, keep talking through Exodus. There's lots of good stories and reminders and advice for us in Exodus. So we'll go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this sunny morning when we could gather together as a church family and we can continue to study Moses and your people and learn more about you and your character. And um, today's, you know, they're, they're all important lessons, Lord, but today is one that I think really strikes home for me to help me remember the things that I'm supposed to do and what to guard against, Lord. We thank you for your word and the truth it gives us, and we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Has, have, have you ever been anywhere and been left, and, and you're waiting for somebody to come back? Has that ever happened to you? How, how do you like that? Is that something you enjoy? If they just say, well, I'm going to be back when I get back. Ugh, if you have a good book. So I, I could tell you, even if your dad sets you up with snacks and hot chocolate and that kind of stuff, when your dad goes, so it's this, this story, I was probably four, it's Christmas time, we, you know, my parents wanted a, a real Christmas tree, so my dad took me in the company truck out to the National Forest, and we're way out there, right, and, and the snow's like this deep, and my dad had an axe, didn't have a chainsaw. And I was four, and he's like, there's no way I'm getting you out there and getting a tree and getting both of you back. So he leaves me in the pickup. You know, I had snack to eat and hot chocolate and that kind of stuff. And I, I have vague memories of this, but he tells the story really well, so I know the story is. He probably was not gone that long, but he's, you know, it was open for maybe 15, 20 yards, and then it's pine trees, right? And he's gone, and... You know, I'm four, and I'm worried he's not coming back, and I start crying, and then I'm really unhappy, and this group of snowmobilers comes by, and they see this kid in a truck pulled off the side of the road, and I'm bawling my eyes out, and so they stop, and they don't know what's going on, and pretty soon my dad comes out with dragging the tree, and he was not very happy with me, because <laughs> these guys are like, what did you leave your kid at, you know, what are you doing, and why well, was just gone for anyway. So nobody likes to be left behind, right? And sometimes, how many of us as kids, when you kind of got to that age, your parents, you know, maybe, you know, dad was at work and mom had to go to town and they leave you at the house on your own and you got into trouble. Does that happen to anybody? This, this is a story of, what, what happens when the authority figure isn't right there front and center, right? So we talked about the Ten Commandments last week, right? So God has given his people the Ten Commandments, and he's told them, this is what I want you to do. This is how you are supposed to behave. The first four commandments are how you love and honor me, and the next six commandments are how you love and honor one another. Okay, so that's where we're at in the story I'm going to go ahead and, and start in Exodus 20. I'm going to read verses 18 to 21. And this gives us a little more background on where we're at. So we just, the, the people just got the Ten Commandments, but I'm in Exodus chapter 20. And I'm going to start in verse 18. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. 
Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But let not God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Okay? So, reading that, and and what we're going to talk about today, really, is we're going to get into the golden calf, right? And all the bad things that happen with that and what we can learn from that. But what do you think is happening here with with the people, right? So, they were going to go to the mountain, I think when I've read this, my, my, my understanding of what God's original intent was not just Moses, but everybody was going to go on the mountain and everybody was going to hear God give the Ten Commandments. So everybody knew what the Ten Commandments were because it came right from the voice of God and they knew what they were supposed to do. But what do the people do when they, when they see physical representations of the great I Am, right? Thunder and lightning in this booming voice. What do the people do? They trembled, right? And do they want to go to the principal's office? No. (laughs) They are afraid of God. Should we fear God? Yes, like we should fear any authority figure. We should be afraid that if we do wrong, God is just and righteous, and he will punish us, right? To the degree he punishes us is up to God. But it is clear that, you know, sinners do not go unpunished in God's economy. That's how God works. So the people are seeing this, and they're afraid, and they don't want any part of this. And so they're saying, Moses, you go talk to God, and you find out, and we'll do whatever you say, right? Well, as we continue on here, we're going to see that this doesn't work out very well, right? Because then, the, you know, we're going to skip over about 10 chapters. But what happens is Moses does go up on the mountain, right? And, and God gives Moses all of the instructions for the people, right? How to sacrifice, how to set up the tent of meeting, what's in there, whose job is what. And this takes a long time. So how, how long is Moses up on the mountain talking to God? 40 days, right? 40 days and 40 nights. Just like, you know, and those are significant numbers in the Bible. But he's up there a long time, right? And so the Hebrews are not with him. They're down where they're supposed to be. Aaron's with them, so it's not like they're without some kind of leadership, right? Because Aaron has been leading with Moses. It's primarily Moses, but Aaron has been there with him, right? And so we're going to pick the story up in Exodus chapter 32. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He, he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. So it doesn't take long, does it? And I know for myself, sometimes it doesn't take long for me, and I, I will sin, and I'll recognize it, and I'll repent, 
And sometimes it's not two minutes later and I've done the same thing, okay? And, and that is who we are by nature, right? The only way that we keep ourselves from sinning, from not following our sin nature, is through the strength we get from God, through the work that Christ did on the cross, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and hard work on our part, and trust and faith in God that he will carry through with his promises, and that, you know, I will really be okay. So, in the Israelites' position, we can stand back and look at this and understand why they're nervous, right? Because we're really only maybe two months from when they left Israel, right? Because when they get the Ten Commandments, they're only 30, 40 days away from leaving Egypt and watching the Egyptian army get destroyed, right? They're traveling in the desert. So it hasn't been that long, has it? So really what we're dealing with here are what we would call in the church age, new believers, right? So they see God do all these things in their lives, and they come to understand who God is, and they're acknowledging who God is, and God just told them all the things they're supposed to do. And so 40 days later, they're tired of waiting, right? And so they're not seeing that. They don't have that faith and trust in God built up yet. And so what, what do the people do? And, and what, what, do, what do all of us do, right? And Aaron didn't suggest this, right? The people came to Aaron. So, again, just like with Adam and Eve and with, with lots of things, there's a, there's a failure in the chain of command and leadership, right? Because Aaron knows what's supposed to happen, and the people do to some extent, but the people are getting restless and they're worried and they're not sure what's happening and they don't want to wait any longer. So they're going to make their own plan and they're going to take things into their own hand. And so they come to Aaron, right? says the, 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 you know, the, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come make us a God who will go before us. Okay? So they know what the Ten Commandments are. So what, what commandments are they starting to violate here? Do they do know because in 20, God gave them the Ten Commandments. He's told them what, not, what, what is expected. He told Moses and Moses has let them know. Right. Verse 3. Yes. Sorry. That was the question I asked. She answered it correctly. So they're, they're violating the first three commandments. The first one is, is, you know, we're only supposed to have one God, the God, right? And they, they know of this God. They know Moses is talking to this God. In their mind, they think maybe Moses did or said the wrong thing and God has killed him and now he's not coming back because he hasn't come back yet. And so they're, they're violating the first commandment, right? They're violating the second commandment because they're making a graven image. They're making an idol to worship, right? And, and how do you think they're, they're violating the third commandment of, of not taking the, the Lord's name in vain? Yes, they're proclaiming this thing as God. They're replacing God. And, and as we read through, you know, through verse 6, they're going to worship this as if it was God. They are calling it a God. They are doing these things. So... They're breaking all these commandments, right? They're doing all of the wrong things. Aaron could have stopped it, right? But how many times have we known the right thing to do, but for peer pressure or for whatever reason, we go along with the crowd and we do what we're not supposed to do? Right. And th this story, it's, this is, you know, I, there are a lot of, I think, really good telling stories in the Bible, and this is one of them, right? Because it helps us understand as people, as children of Adam, 
man, it doesn't take very long and we're going to do the wrong thing. And we're not going to do the wrong thing a little bit. We're going to go in a big way, do the wrong thing, right? Um, and, that, and that's what the people have done. And, and they're taking things, and we do this too, right? God, everything comes from God, right? God gives us all these good things. And many times, what do we do with that good thing God gave us? We, we, we take it and we go commit sin with it, right? So, right, we idolize it. We, we do lots of things. So this gold, where did the gold come from that they're now making into this golden calf? Where did that gold come from? Earrings and stuff. It came from the Egyptian people. They plundered the Egyptian people according to God's plan. But God had a use for that gold later on, right? I mean, they're going to make things, and he wanted his people to have this. But God surely did not want them to have the gold to make an idol, right? And so they're not just making an idol to do a little bit with. What, what do they do with this idol when they make it? Did they just replace God a little bit? No, they fully replace God with this golden calf because they, um, you know, it, here it says here in, you know, Aaron says they're going to have, make offerings to it. They're going to burn incense and they're going to worship it. And they're going to have this big day, this festival to worship this golden calf, right? So they're not just going a little ways. They are quickly veering off the path and, and really doing things that they should not be doing, right? And, and why did, why did God give them the law and the understanding about sacrifice and worshiping and burning incense and things like that? Those are things that, that God gave his people to show him proper worship and adoration, right? This is what we do to worship God. Well, now they've taken this, and, and that's a good thing, right? They're worshiping God. It's not that burning incense is bad. If you do it in the right way and you're doing it, to worship the one true God, that's a good thing. But as soon as you start doing it with something else, um, I mean, you're, you're totally perverting what God made good. You're turning it into something that's not good, that's sin. But that is something we do as people. We take the good things that God gives us and, and we trash it, right? And so it's just, you know, part of this story is to help us remember and to see, you know, that they did this. And, and some of this, we can sit back and say, well, how could they have that fast gone that bad? Well, because they're people, right? And it's just a good reminder for us, if, if you don't have faith in God and that God's going to do what he tells us he's going to do, and we don't trust in that, we soon walk off that path, right? And, and many times we, we identify with and get much closer to that that we worship, right? So an interesting thing in the lesson that was brought out, and it, it's, it's mentioned a couple other times in in the Bible is that, um, I mean, the, the Israelites are behaving like unruly cattle, right? I mean, they're just being sheeple. They're following whoever, doing whatever. They're not really paying attention to the truth and doing the right things. So, you know, they've, they've totally distorted what God's given them. They've taken the good things that God's given them. They've taken worship. They've, they've been completely unfaithful, and they're worshiping this golden calf. And, and when we sin, we, we deserve the wrath of God, right? That's what we get. There is punishment for that. And we're going to look next um, at what God sees about this. So we're going to read, we're going to continue on in 32. I'm going to read verses 7 to 14. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once for your people, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land of which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. So, I mean, as we read this, right, as the people are down there sinning and they're making this calf, Moses is still up there getting instructions, learning from God what it is he's supposed to teach the people and to help them learn in all of the the law and things that they need to know, right? So God knows what's happening, right? I mean, he's he's what we call omnipresent. So what what does omnipresent mean? Always there. Always there. In, in all time and all places, God is present. And that is because of who he is. He is God and he can do that, right? We can only be at one place at one time. But God can be and is all places at all time. That's what omnipresent means. Those are attributes and characteristics of God. And it's part of what makes him an awesome God is God always knows. So even if, if I'm somewhere and I'm having lots of problems there are people on the other side of the world that God is fully aware of what they're doing and what their problems are and what they're doing to worship and honor him just as just as he is aware of what we're doing here so God knows right and he's telling Moses okay and it's if if you see how how does he describe the people right because God wants us just like he wanted the Hebrews to be his people in his possession right but how does God describe the, Israel, the Israelites now. Your people, right? So God's not happy, right? He's saying, well, they're, they're certainly not behaving like my people. So he's telling Moses, your people are sinning. Your people are being disobedient, right? And they've, they're corrupting themselves. Um, and he's describing to Moses all the things that they're doing, right? And so that's telling that, that he is angry with them and he's disassociating himself with them right and and is god right to be angry he is because god god has rules he wants us to follow and he is clear about if you don't follow the rules there is punishment to be had right and and we know that's true and that's what god is telling them right and and he tells moses you know he's he, He says, now then let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make you a great nation. So what's happening right here? What's God telling Moses? He's going to destroy the people, right? Is it within God's right to do that? It is. 
But, you know, he didn't declare that he would destroy them. He says, you know, his anger is going to burn that I may destroy them. Because if we read down farther in verse 14, what does it say after? You know, and, and Moses does what Moses is supposed to do, right? As, as a leader of people, when the people you're leading, if they make a mistake, um, is it the leader's job to destroy them? Or what is the leader's job? If you're in charge of people and they're not doing the right thing, what are you supposed to do? Seek God's face for them, right? To intercede, right? And, and to help get them back on the right path. And that's what Moses is doing. These, you know, these are Moses' people as well. And Moses has done these things. And God has put Moses in this position so Moses could act in a godly way as a leader. And so Moses is interceding on behalf of the Hebrew people. He doesn't want them destroyed. He wants God to have mercy on them so that they have a chance, right? Everybody would like a second chance. And so Moses is bringing up the point that, you know, God, and, and, and is he really necessarily changing God's mind here and this this is a an important point to get here is when we read the Bible and how it's written God has to communicate truth to us right and in in our country you know we we speak English we understand the English written word right and so we're also humans and emotions rule a lot of the things that we do right and so our language and the description here it's written as if God was a person, right? That God changed his mind. Does God change his mind? He, he doesn't. It's hard for us to understand that. But in trying to help tell this story and help people understand what's happening here, is God's very angry, and, and God is well within his rights to destroy the people, but God chooses not to. And so in verse 14, it says, The Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Yes, and, and part of what God has called us to do, right, is to pray to people, to look out for people, to try to do what we can, and as much as God's given us knowledge and faith to do, to, to help influence other people. But God here is showing his mercy, right? And God is allowed to show mercy, so God can change our punishment, right? What, what, what is salvation all about? What do we all deserve? death but God has set it up and God has promised us and is is faithful in that our sins have been paid for by Christ right and 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 God is choosing here his people will be punished in some way there are things that will happen there are always consequences that come about according to God's will so you know when you read through this don't think that well how did God change his mind well God's working through this Moses is doing what God wants him to do Moses is interceding Moses is bringing up a good, a good argument that we can understand, right? Something that we can see and understand. And we see and understand that Moses is interceding on behalf of the people. And God does show mercy, right? Yeah. And it's true. And this, this can be a hard thing to understand. And I, you know, looked at this quite a bit. There are lots, if you, if you look at the translation of 3214 in all different kinds of Bibles, there's a lot of different ways that it's, it's translated, but it all gets down to this point where God is changing what the punishment will be. He's not going to destroy the people, because God could have, right? 
He could have destroyed them all and started again with, with Abraham, but I'm sorry, with Moses. I'm going way back, aren't I? <laughs> um, but really, we have to remember, too, this is the story that God wanted us to know, right? God's will plays out. God's plan is always accomplished, and it works out the way he wants it to, so we can see things the way they are. Because you can, you can what-if everything to death, right? Um, but this is the, what God wants us to see and understand. And part of this is, is God's mercy and his love for us. Because God is there, and, and he doesn't want to destroy us. He, he will hold us accountable. We do have to understand those kinds of things, right? So, you know, if, if you don't accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and your physical body dies, and you're not spiritually alive, you are headed for, you know, the fiery lake. That's the truth of what, you know, what God has. And, I, I think that's a very good point, Ray. And what, what Ray is saying is that the people, it looks like the people still don't have that relationship with God. They don't trust him. They don't understand him. They don't want to honor and worship him, really. They just want what they want. And, and as I went through this lesson, one of the things that really came to my mind is it's really a good picture, too, of new believer and mature Christian, right? Because these people are new believers, literally maybe two, two and a half months out of slavery. They knew who God was, and they'd heard stories, but they haven't had that time to develop that relationship. God has done some things and worked in their lives, right? He's performed these miracles in their presence, not just the plagues, but water and food along the way and the Red Sea. So he's given them very concrete examples of his power. But as time goes on, right, if there's not that constant reminder, they haven't built up that relationship with him to really know even when it looks like things are going really bad, they can still trust God, right? And that's, in my mind, the picture of a new believer. When you have a new believer and someone accepts Christ, if, if they are not discipled and they don't study the word, and, and part of that just takes time, right? It takes a long time to develop the faith and the understanding and the ability to trust God enough to walk the path he's put you on and to do that in a joyful Christian way where you just do everything right, right? It's hard. It's very hard. But then we look at Moses, right? Moses is more of what we would call a mature believer, right? Part of that is because he spends time in the physical presence of God. God has shown himself to Moses in a way he has not shown himself to very many other people at all, right? Lots of ways he has shown Moses. And Moses has had a lot of responsibility put on him, but he's also had that interaction with God. But what, um, as we go through this story, right, so Moses, when we're done, Moses goes down to see the people, right? And he actually sees these things that they're doing that God told them they do. What does Moses do? He's so mad, what does he do? He throws the tablets down and breaks them. Right? And in my mind, that's right. We are, we, you know, mature Christians, are, we, are, you, are, are mature Christians always perfect and never sin? No. We get really mad and we throw stuff and we break it, right? But what does Moses do then? He does. And, we, and, you know, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to go. I would recommend you read through this. Like I said, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible because God's doing all these amazing things, right? When you read through Exodus, but. That's what, when Moses gets down there, he's, he's furious, and he does. He takes it, and he grinds the calf up into powder, and he puts it in water, and he says, you guys really wanted this? Guess what? You get it. Drink it. 
right? But Moses, being the picture of the mature Christian, then knows, okay, we still have to do what God wants us to do. We've got to pick up the pieces. We've got to try to move forward. And, and so with that, um, we're going to read Exodus 34, 1 to 9. Actually, um, well, we're, we're going to start in Exodus 34, and I'll summarize really quickly. So, you know, Moses, while he's on the mountain and he's talking to God, he, he really wants to see God and wants that reassurance. Um, and God allows him this. And so God says, because you're a man, you really can't, you know, Moses asks to see God's face, but, but God says, you're a man, and even, you know, you still have sin in your life. No man can be in my presence and see my face and not die, but you can see my back. And so while he's on the mountain, he takes Moses and he puts him in a cleft in the rock. And God comes down as a cloud and he, and he puts his hand in front of Moses' face until God goes by and then he moves his hand so God can see Moses' back, right? So, or Moses can see God's back. So think about that. That's pretty amazing, right? That God wants to do this for Moses. But think of the faith that that gives Moses, right? And so now Moses knows he needs to move forward and redeem the people. And so I'm going to read 34 um, verses 1 to 9. Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and herds may not graze in front of that mountain." So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth in worship. He said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession." So here we get that picture of God, right? And so Moses is praying again and worshiping and asking God to show grace and have compassion on the people, even though they're obstinate and they're going to mess up and they're sinful and they're going to do things the wrong way and they're hard-hearted, you know, still take us as your own, still guide us, still be with us, right? And, and you know, so as we go through this, you know, God's, it, they're the same commandments. God's going to rewrite them on the tablet so the people have them on the tablet so they can have that written law of what they're supposed to do. You know, in this, it really talks about the, the character and the attributes of God, right? So what, what does it tell us about God? And, and here in the translation, when it's, when it's the Lord with, with Lord capitalized, it's the, the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, which is that name that's very personal, close-to-me, father-like figure. That's, this is Yahweh that we're talking about here. 
Um, you know, it says that, you know, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Right? That's, that's who God is, and that's how God behaves. And God is always that way. Right? He can't change his character. Right, and Mary Lou's pointing out that when he's praying that Moses is, you know, forgive us our sins. He's including everybody. So he's not just saying, you know, I'm doing pretty good. It's those other guys that are, you know, really need the help. He's saying, forgive us our sins, all of us, right? Um, but what, what does it mean when, when, when the Lord has compassion on us? What, is, what does it mean to have compassion on someone? Overlook is one way to look at it, but it's, you know, if you think about it, you're, you're sympathetic. You, you're understanding what they're going through, and you want to help them. If you are showing someone compassion, you are understanding that they are going through a hard time. There's a trial they're working their way through, and you want to do something about it. That is being compassionate to someone. Um, what about gracious? Gracious is, I think, more of what Mary Lou was talking about. If you're showing someone grace, what are you doing? You're, you're forgiving them something that they've done. You are showing them grace. You are removing punishment that they deserve, right? So God is a gracious God, gave his one and only son to die on the cross so that through grace we can be saved. God is allowing the work on the cross and the blood of Christ to pay for our sins, right? That is a gracious act. Right? God looks at us and has compassion on us, and through grace and graciousness, he is removing that ultimate punishment. Right Now, when we sin, our sin's forgiven. Right, But if your sin was a speeding ticket where you were going 90 miles an hour in a 55, what happens? And you get caught. You've got to pay the fine. 40 miles an hour of the speed limit, you probably have to go see a judge. Right, And your car insurance, does God make all that go away? Almost never. Sometimes God has even more compassion and mercy and, and you get to plead your ticket down to something else, or right? But at the end of the day, there's, there's punishment for sin. The, the things that we do in this world have impact. The words that we say to one another have an impact, right? When you speak unkind words to someone, when you do an unkind act, that is done and that has consequences. And you can be forgiven for that, but that person may not want to be around you very much, right? You might damage that relationship. The sin is forgiven, but the consequences of that sometimes you have to live with, right? You know, it says, you know, God is abounding in loving kindness and truth. And that's shown out in, you know, he, he talks about the iniquity. How, how long does someone's iniquity, how, how far down in their lineage does it go? The third and fourth generation, right? The sin and the consequences of that, sometimes it affects multiple generations. But what does it say about um, the loving kindness for thousands, right? He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. So you think about that, there, is, there are some consequences for sin, but God's loving kindness and his graciousness and his salvation plan is infinite, there is no end to the mercy and the kindness and the love of God. You, you can't consume all of that, right? So with God, in some ways, there is a limit to the amount of punishment, right? Ultimate punishment, if you're a non-believer, is eternal separation from God. 
But his loving kindness and his willingness to provide salvation to everyone, that well is deep enough you never get to the bottom, right? And so this, this story, and even as wicked as the people were and as quickly as they were to run to sin and do exactly what God told them not to do, he still loves them, right? There's going to be some hard times come up for the Hebrew people, but ultimately God loves them and he will stay with them and he will guide them. And in as much as they will be obedient, he rewards that. But just like it says, you know, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. There is some kind of punishment that's coming, right? There is consequence to the sin. There are these things that are happening. But yes, and in some ways that's true. And that, that is how people get there is they, they deny God, right? And, and God is a just God, and he has rules and a law, and if you don't follow that, there, there is punishment to pay, right? And, you know, can't speak for what God says. You know, salvation is open to everyone. But God also understands people are people, and people have hard hearts, and there are people who will never, stiff-necked and obstinate, who will never acknowledge God and will not want to be with God and are convinced that he doesn't exist. And so if you, if you are that way, if someone is that way, then they will get the punishment they deserve. And whether that's, you know, and it's, it's hard to get into, you know, if that's really compassionate or not. It certainly is just. God is just, and he has laws, and you will follow these, and they will work to way, they work towards, you know, God's ends and God's means. Um, it might not be. And, and the hard thing is, right, and, and maybe part of what's driving the, the Hebrews here to make this God is they really want a God. But what do we all want? Do we all want some thing that you can't see and know is there? And Right, and we want a God we can touch and see and know is right there and hasn't left and really is right there because you can see him and you can put your hand on him and you can touch him and things, right? But that's not... That's not who our God is. And, and does it take a great deal of faith in knowing that this God you're worshiping is always there if, you can, if it's right there? And then if you're going to go to another room, you can take that God and pick that God up and go to another. Does it take a great deal of God to believe, a great deal of faith to believe in that God? No, I don't think so. But it takes a tremendous amount of faith to believe in our God that he has done what he's done and that he's always there with us. But if you can do that and you develop that strong relationship and that understanding, think of what a tremendous blessing that is because we do always have God with us. And we know even if we try hard not to and we sin and there are consequences, that God will help us through that, right? He doesn't ask us to do any more than we can bear up under. And ultimately... As a child of God, and God loves us, if you are, you know, a situation may be where you're doing something so wrong that he takes you to be home with him, right? And we don't always know what God's thoughts are and those kind of things, but I think sometimes that happens where people are just, you know, they're believers and then they're getting so far off the path and all these things are happening. God says, I can't allow you to do any more. I'm going to take you home to be with me, right? Because we, we want to look at people and we want to judge them and say, well, man, that... that person does not look like a Christian. And I, they may say they're saved, but they're not. And it, and it, yeah, it could be. But we, we don't know, right? Salvation is a heart condition of your spiritual heart. And the only one who sees that is God, right? So we don't know. He did. Eric. 
He was. He was. Right? And some of that, again, is that, so, as people in our earthly Genesis 3 nature, when someone does something really egregious, we want to see punishment meted out, right? We want half those people blown up because they're bad, right? It, does God do that? As, as we read through and we go through these stories, we're going to see some places where God meets out physical death in, in bad ways for people, and lots of them at a time because they are really being bad, and he punishes them in that way, right? They're, it's in there. He there are plagues. There's the, we're going to get to the point with the serpent where he's holding the serpent up. But if you won't look at the serpent, you're going to die from these, are these scorpions that are stinging them? Right? They're part of it. He opens the earth and then people fall in it. I mean, that, that all happens. God didn't do it in this situation. And we don't know why other than God didn't. Right? He would have been justified. But God chose not to at this point. And, and that's God's decision. I don't want to. <laughs> And I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with what, and I don't know how soon that comes up, but some of that does happen, but we, we don't have time. And I, I can get with you after, and you can show me the scripture you're talking about, and we can look at it. And, and, and sometimes we do that as people too, right? We, we say, well, that's a sin, and God says sin is wrong, and so I'm going to help God out. I'm going to punish you, right? That's not really our place either. One, one last comment. It's true. If you think about it, God in your life has probably taken you in some directions that you thought you wouldn't survive or you didn't think your marriage would survive or you thought your child was going to die or something like that, right? But you're past that and you can look back and see how God took care of you. God, you know, and it may not have turned out the way that you wanted, but it, it worked its way out in a way that honors God. So that's, that's a, good, a good ending point because we're... Um, running up against when we're going to have to go to worship. Sir. True. True. We, we, if, if you are unsaved, it's a choice that you've made because that choice to be saved is open to all. So Mary Lou made a good point. God doesn't, doesn't necessarily send us there. If we make the choice to go, he makes sure you're going to be there, but it's a choice that you've made because the choice for salvation is open to everyone.